Welcome to Decision Space, the only podcast that takes place between the turns of your favorite game. I'm Jake. And I'm Brendan. And today we are talking about the absolutely massive, huge, enormous game that you know and love called Terraforming Mars. Brendan, how are you doing today? I'm doing super well. I'm excited uh, to discuss this game and to sort of dig into it. I think it will make a nice follow-up in some ways to Underwater Cities, our episode from a few weeks back, as like parallel games with totally different, parallel game ideas with totally different gameplay. How are you, Jake? I am doing well. Um, Yeah, doing great. Uh, And I think you're right. It, It does feel like, at least to me and the way I'm thinking about these games, that they are intertwined in some way. Uh, fairly or unfairly i think that's just kind of the situation we're in so why don't you kick it off with your synopsis and rating for this game out of 10 awesome so the strength of terraforming mars rests in its reliance on its evocative theme all systems work towards reinforcing the creative vision for the game allowing players to see mars terraformed on the table before them at times however it can feel like the systems implemented in terraforming mars take a back seat to the overall experience While I can see why the game's been a smash hit, there's some core issues with the gameplay itself that make this game uh, a game I'm thrilled I've played, but not necessarily a game I'll return to inhabit again and again. 7 out of 10. Oh, people are going to be unhappy with you. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody everybody knows 7 out of 10 is just like a massive pan, so way to go. Well, I'm pretty sure on Board Game Geek, it's like 7 out of 10, I'll play this game anytime anyone asks. I adore it. I just don't love it. Yeah, but yeah. totally. I, <laughs> Total no, pain. I think it's an important uh, important caveat, but I, I just I was laughing. I saw a, a thread on Reddit the other day about a different podcast where the hosts had given it a 7 out of 10, and somebody's complaining that like about how badly they had panned the game. Like, I think like a 7 out of 10 is okay, but, <laughs> you know, apparently, apparently not. All right, here. so here's mine. Uh, so before, let's see, how do I want to phrase it? I didn't write mine down this week. I'm just getting into it. So uh, Terraforming Mars is a game when I sat down to play uh, in anticipation of this podcast. I, I was a little bit worried that there wouldn't be anything there for me after mm. playing Underwater Cities and just how much I enjoyed that game. I absolutely love it. think it's a masterpiece. And I felt like this would just fall short in comparison. But when I sat down to play it, I was surprised to find how much I enjoyed it in other ways. And and that's really speaking to just like how thematically rich it is, how fun it is to experience uh, Mars built out on the table in front of you. Uh, and, and there was a lot more there for me than I expected, even if the mechanisms and, and in playing in those mechanisms do fall short for me for the Mark set in Underwater Cities. But I still think this is a wonderful game that, you know, really deserves praise, and I am going to give it an 8 out of 10. Ooh, generous Jake. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. That's, so, it's fascinating to me that we both went back to Underwater Cities and are playing, and then also that both of us felt like the systems didn't maybe meet or match, but that the evocative theme is really what carries it. That's that's interesting, as I think will frame a lot of our conversation going forward yeah well let's jump straight into our rules overview because i know we have a lot we want to talk about uh, in this podcast and then we'll get into 
the decision space and our exploration of this the decisions in this game. <laughs> Terraforming Mars is a car-driven economic engine building game in which players take on the role of corporations transforming Mars into a habitable alternative to Earth. In this pursuit, players take turns playing cards from their hand to manipulate a shared Mars board, alongside corresponding environmental tracks measuring Mars's current oxygen level, temperature, and number of ocean tiles. At the game's outset, players will pick a corporation to play as, each with their own unique player power, and spend resources selecting cards to form their starting hand. Each turn, players may take one or two actions, playing a card from their hand if they can afford its resource cost, using an action on an already played card, utilizing a standard action, one of the game's always available but expensive base actions, or claiming one of the game's milestones or awards, two shared goal victory point reward systems in the game. These actions allow players to increase production of various resources, terraform Mars by increasing the temperature or oxygen level, or placing tiles on the board such as greenery, ocean tiles, or city tiles, or adding cards to their tableau that unlock future actions. Once each player has done all they would like in a round, they pass. Once all players pass, production of the game's resources occurs based on the player's current production levels, and a new generation of terraforming begins, at which point players will have the opportunity to purchase up to four additional cards to play in subsequent rounds or later in the game. Players receive points from an array of sources, including terraforming the planet, building cities adjacent to greenery tiles, claiming milestones or winning awards, or by fulfilling requirements on certain personal scoring cards. A game concludes once all of the game's environmental tracks are pushed to their end, at which point Mars is fully terraformed. The player with the most points at the end of terraforming Mars is declared the victor. As always, terraforming Mars is a complex game in a lot of ways, so having a quick look at the board or even the rulebook will give you a lot better sense of how to orient yourself within its systems. Brendan, thank you for that wonderful game overview. I feel as though uh, I have a better sense now of how to play this game, and, and hopefully our listeners do at home as well. I think we have a bit of a head start this time, as this is probably the game that we're covering that the most people have played. Um, but so that's, that's always a big help, I think, in, in getting a lot out of these conversations. But anyway, so let's jump straight into kind of the decision space. And I think the first major topic we're going to cover uh, is is sort of timing in this game. And it strikes me that timing is something that is just like so uh, intrinsic to many of the decisions you're making throughout this game. Uh, so I think that makes sense as a place to start our, out our conversation. How's that sound to you? That sounds perfect. I think that so much of this game has... every Every piece of why this game works in my mind is based on the system allowing players to manipulate the timing of the game by running up certain tracks, whether whether it's the oxygen track or the heat track. Uh, and also timing plays so much into the evaluation of what cards are good, because not all cards are created equal for every scenario and situation. So one of the things that I love about Terraforming Mars is how every single decision space is totally different because every time you're dealt a hand of cards, you have to evaluate them within the context of the exact moment that you're looking at them. And timing plays into that so much because a card that's really good early can be pretty bad late game. And all of your evaluation of cards to me within Terraforming Mars, and the reason why the game works is because it's asking the question, is this the right time to make this play? Do you have the time left? 
are there enough generations left? So that creates a really interesting quandary when you're sort of filtering everything through that. Totally. Yeah. So let's let's get right into that first kind of major decision point, which is really, uh, you know, the core of this game, which is is the is how you use your cards. So it's both a question of you know, when to buy cards at the beginning of the turn. And that takes place whether you're using the drafting variant or just uh, taking a, a random hand of four cards. Um, and then throughout the turn, like what you're choosing to build. So just when you're playing this game, like how often do you feel like once you're looking at your hand of four cards, right? Whether you've done the draft or not, that you feel like it's you're making like a challenge, you're challenged by the decision of what to buy? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, I feel like in the regular course of play, oftentimes when you end up being dealt those four cards, uh, because of the, the amount of cards are so dependent on your situation, I don't, I feel like there's usually an obvious choice of like, I want this card, I'm so glad it was dealt to me, I'm snatching it up. And I don't find myself struggling as much with like, this card seems really good, but I think it's too late. Usually it feels fairly obvious of like, was I dealt a right card for the strategy that I've built into using the 10 cards that I was dealt with at the start and my corporation, or was I not? Though sometimes, I guess I would say, to, let me answer your question. It would be kind to you if I would actually answer the questions that you asked rather than drone on. I would say 40% of the time, I feel like there's a real decision to be made with the cards that are dealt. And 60% of the time, I feel like I'm running through the strategy that I'm playing out already. How about you? Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I think that it, cha- it it does change pretty dramatically over the course of the game. I think this yeah. is another place where timing matters a lot. By the end of the game, definitely it's an easy decision, right? Because you're only going to have one or two turns left to play the cards so you know you might simply be asking like which of these one cards or four cards is worth it to play if any and that's usually like a very straightforward calculation but i think that calculation gets a lot more complex at the beginning of the game when you have to grapple with you know i can spend money to buy this now uh because i know at some point in the game it'll give me a lot of value but uh the the trade-off is is really real there because i'll be able to do less than in this subsequent turn because i won't have access that money to actually play a card out of my hand and i I find like that is a really uh a really rich decision early on in the game and and one that really takes a there's a lot of uh mastery there too because i think difficult it's difficult to tell and and it really takes like a lot of feel for for how the game's going i i think also no that's I think I've probably discounted a little bit because the strategy that I've sort of tried to pivot into with Terraforming Mars is playing as efficiently as possible. So I've come to the point where I don't like holding cards for more than like three generations. If I'm if I'm going to buy a card and I know that three whole rounds are going to go by and I won't want to play it or won't be able to play it yet, I feel like generally my resources are better spent somewhere else sort of tuning up that engine to make sure I'm in a better position in those three turns rather than investing now in a play that I can make in three turns when I've probably fallen behind. Um, But with that said, it's such a flexible system that sometimes you get Delta card and you're like, oh my gosh, this is the perfect card for me on turn seven. I'm just going to slide that money in the bank. I'll see it later and just write it out. And 
Interestingly, the way the tracks are designed, it does encourage you with doing that a little bit because there's the thresholds of like, if you raise the the temperature to this level, you get a free heat or you get to place an ocean tile. And I think those serve to sort of incentivize, oh, maybe you want to hold cards a little bit more and plan for plan around these thresholds a little bit. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, let, you know, to that, let's let's think a little bit about the decision space of actually playing the cards in your hand then. Um, and I, I think this too, obviously, like this is a huge part of the game. There are standard projects, of course, that you can also do or, or do activations, but like choosing what to play and when out of those options, um, you know, it is super important. And I think uh, the decision space there, again, is really dynamic because if you're playing a, a efficiency strategy, you know, you, you very well could be playing a game where you're just trying to get cards to play that round and then there's no real decision there you just play them yeah. um versus you know trying to maybe go wide so to speak uh, and, and then you have a lot of cards in your hand yeah definitely it i feel so okay so in terms of the decision to like play out cards versus hold them i also feel like it just the game gives you so much freedom over the cards that you're going to have at the start of the game um, that to me, in terms of decision space, that feels like the most piv- piv- excuse me pivotal moment. And then from there, like early game, I'm curious of what you feel like is the strategic depth here. I'm having a hard time like framing the conversation because I do think one of the strengths of Terraforming Mars is that every game is totally different. So there's like certain heuristics which like building green retiles is generally good because they can ke- they're going to up your terraforming rating, which is good that's something you want to be doing and they can also double count as cities later so but you can't always play that that strategy because the standard projects in some ways to me just feel like a trap because they're all so overcosted compared to the cards that you really don't want to be going the, to them too often right yeah i think so i mean if you have a card that builds a forest it's definitely going to be cheaper than the uh standard Place, project yeah. to build a forest but I do think that they, uh, the standard projects being there is, is really important because uh, whether you're using the drafting variant or not, which we, we can talk about later on, uh, that's, that's a, the, my preferred way of play. It gives you a little bit more control over the cards you're, you have access to. It's very likely that you could be in a situation in the game where you just need to build a yeah. forest to enable your other strategy. So it's important that uh, that standard project is there. And then it can be, you know, a really interesting, I think, choice in your strategy of like, do I pay this overpriced cost? Is that going to be worth it to me versus perhaps prolonging and hoping to get a card that will enable you to do that on a future turn? Um, You know, so I think that is something that's like the question then becomes definitely you want to be playing efficient efficiently, but what is more efficient? Is it doing what you need to do now in this present turn? Or is it, uh, you know, doing the more cost-effective things, saving your money and, and pushing that plan down the road a little bit further? Totally. And I would say that I definitely have found myself like maybe two or three times a game going to the standard projects when you just, oh my gosh, I have to place a city in this one spot because based on what where the greenery tiles are and the, the stage in the game, and I don't have a card that will let me play a city. I'm just going to pay the pay the cost. But I know that the value that I'm getting back is so beyond worth it that it doesn't matter. Um, I'm curious too, Jake, we, we've been talking about sort of 
one of the most interesting things about the game and the decision space that it offer is how every single time you're going to play a card, you're trying to decide is is the benefit of this card or even buy a card in your hand. Is the benefit of the card at this point in the game worth it? Or am I paying more than I should be based on the timing of the, of the game? How, how do you pl- sort of evaluate the blue cards in the game that generally like the action-based cards, so like pets or all the microbial ones that just like, in my mind, those cards are so good because you slap one of them down early and it's just like free value over and over and over um, to the point where I feel like so much of my strategy is like, can I get a blue card early and just abuse it for victory points on the table? If I can't, uh-oh, what's my next strategy I'm going to pivot into? Like green ring? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. No, I think I think that's interesting. I think um, what that kind of points out is in some ways they're similar to the regular building cards or whatever that's going to increase your sure. uh, resource production, which is that like no matter what, whether you're increasing your production or you're getting an action out, you want to do it as early as possible because then it's going to give you the most possible value uh, throughout the course of the game, which I think um, creates like a kind of, I, I mean, maybe I guess I'll use the term like can be a little problematic in that like the decisions are so front loaded in terms of importance. Mm. Um, right. It, what you're doing those first few turns are going to, you know, pay off way more so that can have like maybe an oversized role in dictating your strategy. Um, but I think that's like the case in, in, in almost any game that is uh, tableau resource building, like such yeah. as this. Um, so, so yeah, so I, I agree with you. And I, I think, you know, what you speak to about the animals is some cards are, you know, perhaps not perfectly balanced. Like there's definitely cards that are really good to have early. Um, and if, if you are fortunate enough to get one or two of them, uh, you know, it's very possible that your opponent just doesn't have access to those. Cause even if you're looking at 10 cards at the start of the game, there's like a million cards in the deck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and, and and many of them are not good in the first first turn. Yeah, which does create, it does create interesting decisions of like trying to plan out your strategy. And I do think that for me, that's really the core strength of Terraforming Mars is that every time you sit down to play, you're facing a fundamentally different problem and a different question. And even things like we were talking about, like, when to go on board with your cities, there's no, no one can tell you like, oh, you need to have at least one city built by turn five, because that's just like not how terraforming Mars works, which is such a strength of it is like every game really is different, I think. Yeah, definitely. And and I think that really comes through in how the board is built out. And I think this kind of speaks to our like next topic about or our next kind of decision space, which is you know, when to speed up the game or slow down the game or like push various tracks. Um, But it really is possible that, you know, you could be playing a game where just like all the ocean tiles uh, are played out in the first like two or three rounds uh, and and nobody's built any trees, you know? So it's just like creates like a really strange dynamic um, in the game where, it might really be helping some people and, and hurting others, depending on on the the restrictions on cards in people's hands, um, which is, I think, a kind of a cool interactive element in the game too. In a, in a game that's otherwise, I don't like kind of multiplayer solitaire, but but not. <laughs> I don't know. 
Yeah, it's really interesting. I was I didn't know what to expect going into Terraforming Mars in terms of how much interaction there would be on board, um, and it's definitely there. Like, there's the moments that you get are are definitely the the sort of like feel bad moments of like I'm building these greener tiles and this perfect city spot got stolen from me. Whereas I feel like generally the incentive for someone, once there's a potential for a positive interaction to take place, like I have a city and you have a city two spaces away and I could put a green leaf tile in the middle. It's usually like your, your last resort path of like, Oh, I guess I'll build this because I think I'm, I'm beating this person anyway. And I need the points to be person C who is slightly closer. But I found generally if I could take an action in the game that would be mutually beneficial, I'm just going to avoid it because there's so many other ways to gain benefit for yourself that usually helping others, you're just hurting yourself in the long run. Um, so I think in terms of multiplayer solitaire, the, the way in which that doesn't be, the way in which that gets inverted some is just because the players have so much agency over the, the speed of the game and the length of the game too, right? And it's mostly like, I need to be watching what Jake's doing to, because if Jake is playing a slower sort of action-based microbe strategy, I'm just rushing. I'm trying to terraform the crap out of Mars as quickly as possible to, to beat him on the front side before he can get the value of all of those microbes adding up. Um, but beyond that, I agree. The interaction does feel pretty small in the game. It's weird because there's like so many ways to interact, right? Like we'll get into the milestones and the awards. Uh, you know, we've already touched on the fact that your, uh, you know, these global goals that trigger the end of the game are a place of player interaction. You can interact with how the tiles are placed. You know, whether you're helping each other. So it's like there, there is interaction happening in so many ways, but like a lot of it to me feels incidental. Mm-hmm. Because, okay, I just happened to get this card that helps me and it is a take that card that like takes away some plants from somebody else, you know, and it, it doesn't, you know, it's, it doesn't feel like I've strategically chosen this card to like remove somebody's plants. It's kind of like, okay, well, I am have this card, I'm going to play it and I guess that happens too. Yeah. And, and I think similarly, uh, to kind of get back to like when to push tracks up in the game and, and that's. I'm I'm thinking about the global uh, goals here. There's there's this weird, well, I, I, not weird. There's, it's, I actually really like it, but there's like some special markers where if you are the one that pushes a global, what 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 is the term for this? Not global goal, but like global, uh, like terraforming. The terraforming, yeah. It, you're you're talking specifically about the oxygen and the the heat yeah. trackers, yeah. When you're pushing that up, there are if you're the one that raises the temperature to a certain bar, like I think it's negative 16 degrees or negative 18 degrees or something, then you are rewarded by increasing your personal production of heat by one. And that creates an interesting dynamic uh, in the game where you don't want to be the person to push it up to just one space away from that, because that's going to give your opponent some advantage. And I think that like tempo change is really interesting and it's definitely something you want to consider with your strategy and tactics. But at the same time, it does kind of feel like eventually somebody just does it and then whoever's next gets the benefit of it. And it's kind of, it, again, it, it, you know, it feels like an incidental form of player interaction more than like, I don't know exactly why that is, but that's just kind of my experience of it. 
Yeah, this design decision to have these like very small but meaningful incentives on the two tracks really surprised me at first, especially given the turn structure. Because I think what the existence of these does is sort of it, it keeps the like quick rush terraforming strategy in check because you don't want to like give away value by just blind mindlessly pushing it up, but you have to. Um, but you also don't want to unnecessarily do it. So I found maybe we can merge this with discussion of like the action system that the game lets you take one or two actions on a turn because I find these so intertwined. Um, and I think that these incentivize play to be like only do the optimal way to play Terraforming Mars is in general to just take one action on your turn and then pass so you can see what more, inf- like get more information take one action, take one action, take one action, except for the turns where you're trying to like make burst plays and you're going to do two things in a row to try to push one of these trackers up. And I found that the sort of the pace of play in general, that the take one or two action system ends up incentivizing this sort of like staccato play pattern that I don't find as interesting because I don't feel like it in general creates that many new opportunities for choices, except for sometimes stacking like, okay, I can raise the temperature two with this card. I'll combo that with a third and place, push the track up three um, in this context. What's, what's your take on that, Jake? Yeah, I think that is a good read on it. Um, I, I don't, I agree with you. I don't think that it like is a very interesting decision most of the time about doing one or two actions. Um, I actually generally just take two because I'm just like, let's just get on with it. <laughs> um, you know, and, and I think that uh, if this is wild speculation, but like if I had to hazard a guess as to why that is in there, it's because some actions are so small, like yeah. especially if you have the blue cards, if you're playing like a four player game of terraforming Mars, you know, it might take a, a you know a few minutes for it to get all the way around the table to you and if all you're doing on your turn is like okay i'll turn this sideways to add an animal to it uh and then pass again like that just maybe wouldn't be a great player experience so i think they add have the option of doing two actions more the purpose of that is like more to like make it an enjoyable play experience than like for rich strategic decisions which i'm okay with like i'm i'm glad that it exists because of that no i totally agree i'm really glad it exists and i i agree that the play experience of taking two actions is better but it's always frustrating to me when a game incentivizes a, a less fun path of play because in general i don't feel like outside of moments where i'm wanting to burst for some reason or like playing down a city tile after building a greenly to snag a big spot in general in like 90% of the turns I feel like the optimal play is to just take one turn and pass um which is frustrating because I would rather the games just said no you have to do two things because it's more fun but yeah the game is incentivizing and it's mechanically you should only do one thing but I agree it's just like so staccato it's like okay I take this one action and then pass do accomplishing like I raise my terraforming rating by uh half a point in like functionally, or I got half a point of VP and now I'm I'm just gonna wait and see. It's just like yeah. everyone's standing in a room like, okay, I'll take this crumb, I'll take this crumb, I'll take this crumb. When you all just wanna dig in, and I wish the game invited you to all dig in. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Like I wonder if this game would be wouldn't be better served if if it was just you take two actions and if you only take one, then you have to pass. pass. Yeah. Or 
or if it was just one action and you couldn't take two and that would make the time in between shorter yeah uh, i wonder if either of those maybe would help from that like strategic and decision making experience sure. yeah um, but anyway i think um let's let's if it's all right with you let's jump ahead a little bit to talking about what what i think is one of the most interesting decisions in the game uh, and, and this is also a time when you'll frequently want to take two actions and that's when you would do do something like perhaps uh, build a third city or, or third tree and then mm. claim an award. And I think this is like the strongest part where like player interaction comes through is, is these uh, awards and milestones on the board. Yeah, so I I agree. I think this is the most in, one of the most interesting systems in terraforming Mars, besides the sort of asymmetrical card system, um, and the fact that you as players are choosing what where the point where like the a chunk of points in the game are going to come with this version of Mars. I feel like works with that asymmetrical card system really well because the game can't predict what's gonna how things are gonna play out. So it just says as players. Once things play out in a certain way, you choose where the points come from and trying to decide on the timing of like, now is the right time to expend the significant cost of locking in one of these milestones um, or the awards. I think I have it right where the awards are just like, if you've accomplished this thing, you get it. No, those are the milestones. Yeah, the milestones, I think, are, yeah. So it's like... Function that way. If Yeah, like if you're the first to get three forests on the board or three cities or eight yeah. cards with the building tag, etc. Once you have achieved that on your turn, you can take a standard action to claim a milestone, assuming three milestones haven't already been claimed. So I think, it to me, it's like, this is probably the one game, one aspect of the game, like mechanically, that I actually think is like better than in underwater cities like i think this would be so sweet if something like this existed in underwater cities maybe in place of uh you know what sort of function as as those like uh, special cards there uh, or contracts because what it does so excellently is it, it not only creates a race where you're racing for uh, different endpoints with everyone in the game um but it's also uh, allowing you know it, it, it's not it's not just a race but it's also like forcing strategic choices right and yeah. that's something i love like it's making you like call your shot in the game right where you're saying you know i don't know what cards i'm going to be presented with in later rounds but like i'm going to be trying to be the first to build three trees yeah it gives those those short-term goals where if your hand of cards just leans to it you feel good running in one direction even if you're totally committing i will say so I'm intrigued by some of the like presentation of options within the decision space of Terraforming Mars because I think the game is not co it's it's comfortable with presenting really bad options to players and letting them make them if they want and then suffering for it like the the planner milestone the one where if you have 15 cards in your hand like if you 15 I thought it was 16. Is it 16? It's it's ass, it's mind-blowing. It's so many cards where it's like, if you've ended up in this position, something has gone so wrong that, like, here's some points for you, but, like, there's no chance you're, like, winning the game. This is, this is, I, I don't understand this milestone at all. And I agree the other ones are wonderful. I wonder about that. I was going to bring that up, too, but, like, my read on it is different. Um, and I, I would love for people to, like, chime in chime who in. Have played this more than we have. But, like, I was going to say, like, what, it, what it's also doing is like cluing people into uh, various different like strategies, strategies in the game where it's saying like 
you could go down one of these paths, like try and build a bunch of buildings and increase your uh, production of steel uh, and, you know, or build a bunch of trees or, or, you know, go for cities. Uh, and I, so I, I have never been in a situation in a game of terraforming Mars. And I've, I haven't even played, you know, to be honest, I haven't even played 10 times. I probably played hmm. this like four or five times in person. I own a copy of the game and then uh, played on the app like three or four times too. Um, so I'm not, I'm not an expert. So the way I read that, though I've never been in the situation where I've had that many cards or close to it, like it intrigues me. It's like, is this viable? Like I want to explore that as a strategy and see, you know, if, you know what that unlocks. And I think it could be like, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if people are like, no, Brendan, you dummy. Like, of course, like that's like the best one in the competitive scene. I would be wildly shocked, but if, if you if you're out there and you've played Terraforming Mars a bunch of times and you're like you're completely missing this, here's how the planner works. Like maybe there's some sub strategy where like okay, I'm just gonna spend all my money buying all the cards at the beginning and spend a few turns racking up, getting some of the ones where you get free cards. Maybe, but like if you've won with this, let me know because to me, when I first started playing, I saw this and I was like, oh, this is a great milestone. The game's telling me that I can do this and I'll get rewarded for it. So I tried to go for it. And then by the end of the game, I was so far behind in terms of like board production because I've sunk so much money into buying cards that I'm not even building. So I'm trying to get this stupid planning milestone that I was so behind. I was like, did I just get like rickrolled by this game of like telling me to go in this direction and then just getting totally destroyed? It just, that's one little thing that stuck out to me of like, this is so weird that this is presented this way. And I don't understand why, because the point incentive like you're so much better off, serve better off just by planting the three green retiles or like even getting cities on the board just to get your terraforming rating up and like have potential points in the future. I don't know. And but the flip side, the let's talk about the awards too, because we want to make sure to discuss there. I think that system is amazing. I love that there's we talked about chicken some in the context of underwater cities. And I think that these introduce a nice element of chicken here too, because you definitely want to make sure the the uh award that you're going for, you're going to get. But so you don't want to not have the option to buy it because other people have purchased them. But you also don't want to invest a bunch of money. They're expensive. They're like 20, 20 credits, maybe more. No, no, no. So it it uh well, okay, so that's like the most interesting thing about it to me is that they are increasing in cost. In cost. The first yeah. one only cost eight, the the next one costs more, and the third one costs more than that, which does, which you know is really fantastic because you know the earlier you yeah. pay for it the cheaper it is but perhaps at that point in the game there will be enough time for somebody to like catch up and overtake you and then win the award that you funded which is like a total disaster yeah um but also um it's a little tricky because you know spending money early not only has that the downside of uh, that somebody else could could come and overtake you but also uh, money is worth more at the beginning because anything you play at that point in the game will give you more value than something later in the game. So I think yep. like eight credits on, you know, in the fifth generation is, you know, pretty equivalent to 24 or whatever it gets up to right before the end of the game. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's like really cool and, and uh, a well done mechanism that uh, definitely gets my like Euro game brain like going. going yeah it also i i totally agree that it's one of the mechanics that holds the game together in the most clear way and one of the mechanics where 
if there's emergent interactions that arise out of these systems, I think this is the space where it's happening the most interestingly. And the times where someone claims an award early and you're like, oh, we're going for that award. And you can pivot your strategy just a little bit and then come out on top of something they pay for just feels so good. Like it is such a blow up to like win that, win that award and then win one other. It's just fantastic. Definitely. Um, should we do a little bit of uh, turbulence? Do you have? Yeah, let's do it. Do you... All right. Oh, <laughs> what's happening? <laughs> it's getting a little crazy. <laughs> Uh, this is your captain speaking. We are now approaching a little bit of turbulence. Please return to your seats and buckle your safety belts. All right. Uh, yeah, so this is turbulence where we talk maybe a little about some things we think are holding this game back on from a decision-making perspective or otherwise. Brendan, do you want to go first? Yeah, could you sense that I was I was circling around some of the things that frustrate me about the lack of emergence in the systems? I think yeah. one thing that frustrates me about this game is so many of the systems kind of don't interact with each other. Like the amount in which I was, I felt like the, the rules baggage of, of learning Terraforming Mars, I was expecting there to be tons of like interesting things playing out on the board in front of me. And in some ways, the board kind of just functions as like an advanced... Okay, I have to be careful with a comment like this because I, I worry that it could be grafted onto like, oh, you could say that about any game, um, which maybe is the case. But in some ways, the board can feel like a really complex VP tracking system where like there's not enough organic gameplay that comes out of the board that it kind of just feels like we're tracking progress. And I love thematically, like it feels so good to like f watch the board grow and like to throw down a bunch of forests. But it, at the end of the day, I expected there to be more things happening out of this like combination of rules and there being like interesting emergent behavior. And it doesn't really feel like it happens. Like I feel like in some ways the game is so much just an optimization puzzle that the quote unquote game of it kind of fades into the background. Yeah. I mean, that's so interesting. And I think like, you know, I don't, I don't know. Um, you know, what the designer is going for. Um, but I definitely think some of the rules in this game are are designed because of the thematic integration yeah. more so than to like, you know, just design like the most fun, competitive yeah. gaming ex and balanced gaming experience. Um you know, and I, you know, I think like, here's an idea for a card, let's throw it in there, you know, and, um, and so I do think sometimes that can like lead to uh, some, some unbalances and, and just, yeah, some things where like some of the rules feel a little bit just make me kind of like wonder, like, why do, why is there a rule for this? Like, I don't fully understand it. I think that like playing tiles are a lot more like, like just add in a lot of kind of like rules grit that maybe don't need to be there. Um, but at the same time, it makes cities feel different than forests, than oceans, you know, that they all function a little bit differently, which I think is like, you know, it is paying off in thematic integration at the end of the day, which is, you know, why you'd have to give credit to this game. Like people go insane for it. People love terraforming Mars. Yeah. And that is the real triumph of the game, right? Like the triumph of the game is that it's a, it's thematically, it's a home run. 
it, it totally works. And like the fact that it, you just feel good. It's like, oh, I slammed an asteroid into the planet and now I get to do these three things in the system. Great. Like, and, and watching it change, change feels so good. Like clearly the game, it's really interesting because I think the two of us come at games from the perspective of like, we want them to offer us interesting decisions. And I think that part of the love for this game is that one, it feels different every single time, which any game that can accomplish that is already ahead. And two, like, it's just evocative. Like you do feel like you're terraforming Mars to some extent more than like, I don't know. I feel like I'm, do I really feel like I'm building underwater cities and underwater cities? I don't know, but it's fun to do it. And I like arranging the things and I feel like I get to make super interesting decisions, which is why I feel like I'm drawn to that, like exploring the system. Whereas here it's more of a romp and it works. But for me, the turbulence does come out and like, there's so much rules overhead and so much of it just feels like this is a rule because thematically it feels like it should be a rule. Like there should be titanium and there should be steel and like these things need to exist. And like titanium is going to help you with space because it's lighter than steel, which we'll use to like build on planet. And like, I'm there, I get it. I just like, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, for, for me, like the, the big aspect of turbulence is just like sometimes the game just doesn't like super hold together just in terms of like the cards that one person's getting versus another like they just aren't balanced like you could be dealt a bunch of cards that require uh you know certain conditions to be met um and and like early in the game they are just worthless to you yeah uh and then you're gonna lose, like for sure. And it, yeah. it's like a bit long of a game for that to be like totally acceptable, um, you know. And that's true even if if you're you're doing the drafting variant, which I recommend, and the using the prelude model, which module or not module, I guess it's a full on expansion, uh, which I think you know most people say is like a mandatory addition to the game, and I agree. And I think that's like kind of another place where like it gets a little turbulent for me is like this is a game like so many people love. It's really a lifestyle game in that there are like a ton of different maps, a ton of different expansions. Uh, you know, this is like a lot of people's like main game that they play, um, you know, like Root or, you know, like Keyforge or whatever. Right. They're, they're constantly putting out new stuff for it. And that's awesome. And, I'm you know, I'm glad that so many people found a niche for this game. But when you're just like sitting down and like open this game up for the first time and play the base rules with like the base corporations. Like I think that like it falls, you'll still have that same like fun thematic experience, you know, but it falls a quite a bit short of like the interesting decision making aspect, the mechanical aspect that I want in games, but I think it can get there uh, with, you know, when you're adding in all the right stuff. But like the fact that that's not like there at the beginning, like that's for me just gonna bump it down a, a little bit. But at the same time, you know, it, it I still you know I still gave this game an eight. Like that's a high rating for me because it is just like fun to play. But sometimes that fun just feels a little bit more like Mansions of Madness than it does like you know underwater cities. Like sure, like we're doing the story and we're just gonna like enjoy it. Yeah, totally. I guess we're sort of. We can feel the ship evening out here, leveling yeah. out. The, the The turbulence has started to drift away as we've we've moved fast. But I, to pivot into, I do think that the the Prelude expansion. Now you told me, like Brendan, you have to play with this. It's like you got to experience it, and I totally agree. the The endowed progress that you get from just like these are the cards that you're going to start, and it gives you a boost. 
and the way it speeds things up and also lets you sort of, um, I think, specialize a little bit more depending on the cards that you're dealt. Um, it just takes everything that I love about the game in the asymmetry and gives you more agency and sort of turns that dial up. And it, it's so much more fun with Prelude. It's great. Totally. Yeah, We've and we've talked about it a little, or you've talked about it a little bit, how every game feels so different. And I think a huge part of that is because of like the early game decision of like which corporation you're going to play which frankly is probably like my favorite single decision in the game like looking at the corporation cards i've dealt and thinking like okay this is gonna dictate my strategy like have i tried these before like what what what's this gonna do to the play of the game and like adding in the prelude cards just like doubles that fun because now i get to all you know it basically just makes whatever corporation you get like even more different and powerful right and like how the those cards synergize with that um is you know it's really lovely i mean another criticism a lot of people have with this game is that it just can be a little long Mm. uh, at times and like prelude also addresses that so that's like a win-win-win yeah totally to follow that up too i i think that we can't do enough to highlight a lot of the games that we've talked about in the past on decision space. We've really highlighted the richness of the tactical decision-making within the space of the game. And I think that the real strength of terraforming Mars and its decision space really does lie in the strategic potential of making the decisions early on. Uh, And I think that the, the middle, the middle third to me is the strongest where you've picked out your corporation. If you're playing with prelude, you picked out your, your prelude cards and you picked your starting hand and you just get to see how that all those decisions combine together to see if you have formed an effective strategy or not. Like that's, I love those turns. Like turns, turns one through five are so exciting, especially in the Prelude expansion. Just sort of seeing which direction the game is going to go in which shape. And then you're for me, that's when the decision space starts to shrink and like your viable paths forward get really decided quite quickly. Though it can be shaken up by cards or dealt. And I think that terraforming mars has a really interesting strategic decision space yeah no i agree i i wouldn't say like i do think the decision space does feel smaller towards the end but like um i think it also shifts in an interesting way where it becomes much more tactical about like this is what i've done to get into this position now like how can i make the most of that engine and the cards i already have in my hand like to to maximize my points um and i think that it's kind of cool like that that's kind of like the maybe the word i would use to like describe the decision space in uh terraforming mars more than any other game we've talked about like it's very dynamic what you're doing at one point in the game and what you're thinking about like like shifts dramatically uh over the course of the game and you know i think that is a huge asset um to a game where like any you know any one of those decisions maybe isn't like taken apart is not like super super crunchy and satisfying in in the way that you know i might like but the fact that like i'm constantly being asked different questions um and that's always changing over the course of the game uh makes it like you know it's something like i'm always gonna be happy to dive in you know when somebody brings this out and I've, i haven't played with any of the other maps the other expansions but like i would love to you know i, I think that would be you know so they the other expansions sound really cool and you know to just have a little bit more diversity i can definitely see why so many people you know go back to this again and again and you know try it in different ways 
Definitely. I, I really like too, Jake, that you highlighted that it is such a dynamic decision space because more than any game we've played, I do agree, it starts off so strategic and then it ends up so tactical. And it's really interesting for a game to sort of have that shape. Um, and I think that that's kind of like the goal for a lot of games to like, this is very richly strategic and has important tactical decisions and like Terraforming Mars does does present them. And I think that the decision, we've talked about standard projects a little bit, the decision to just have those available, even if they're strictly worse than what's printed on a lot of the cards is really interesting because it keeps the decision space larger, even if, and they're they're fairly like, they're not so poorly costed that you can't make that interesting tactical decision when you need to. Um, so that's a decision that really like increases the decision space late game, which is kind of cool. Yeah, totally. Um, let's jump into our final thoughts about terraforming. Does that sound good? Or is there any, am I missing yeah, anything no, that really great. important here? Okay, cool. All right. Do you want to go first or should I take the floor? I think let's have you take the floor and uh, sort of, I want to see where your brain is in terms of sending off terraforming Mars. Uh, well, okay. So one thing I saw like just this week, um, you know, we're recording this on March 12th is board game geek isn't doing their March madness bracket where they put like all these games into, into a bracket and people can vote on their favorite game, uh, you know, just in a game versus game matchup and terraforming Mars won that bracket both of the last two years and is going for the three-peat, um, which I think really speaks to the quality of this game, of course, you know, and, ha- and how large its fan base is, which of course speaks to quality, but also how it's something that like appeals in some way to every kind of gamer. And I think like it's, to me, it's like kind of the quintessential hybrid game. And I think a lot of people look at this and might think like, no, this is like pretty much a fully Euro game experience. But like, I think, you know, what this game does is like it integrates theme at like such uh, intrinsic level into every decision, you know, that like, to me, it almost feels at times like because of like the wackiness of the cards and like, you know, I would call like unbalanced at times, it almost feels more you know, like I said before, like I'm playing uh, Mansions of Madness and just like rolling the dice uh, than something super, super strategic and tactical. And I don't know, hopefully that doesn't piss people off, but like, you know, that's just kind of like the experience I've had with the game. And I think that's great, right? You know, it, it's not a, a probably a perfect 10 for people that really lean on like story-driven emotional games or people that really lean on... uh the Euro side of the spectrum, but like, I, you know, I don't think there's many people out there who are like modern board game enthusiasts that would play this game and, and put it like lower than a, a, than a seven, you know? So, you know, it makes sense to me that it's like won so many fans and, you know, is going to probably be a favorite to win this bracket again, because almost any game you could think to put it up against, there's going to be people that it really doesn't appeal to. Yeah, I, I was glancing at that bracket too. And interestingly, the last game to three-peat was Power Grid, which happened in like the, the late aughts. So it would be the first time a game has three-peated since then. And I think that that's really telling in a way, because as you're saying, Jake, it sort of represents this this in-between, uh, this in-between all game where it's not... It's not strictly a Euro. Like there's a lot of things that it does that look Euro-y and that are like dressed up in Euro-style game clothing but at the end of the day it really is like a thematic romp with euro mechanics bolted onto it i wonder if we'll see more games now that the success of terraforming mars that we 
this is clearly like a game that people enjoy and love. They're very much appreciate the decisions that it invites them to make, the way that it plays out differently and the thematic nature. I wonder if we'll see more games designed in this way um, because it is such a success. And I think that, I guess my closing thought is I think that ultimately it'll be curious to see what what games that follow in this in the footsteps of terraforming mars do because i think terraforming mars decided that it was going to be the length that it needed to be to feel pretty epic and i'd be curious if the system like the the card system which i think it's is brilliant it like it's the soul of the game that makes it work that makes it feel different every time that gives you that strategic richness and depth um, if someone could take that system and make it work in half the time, but have 75% of that sort of epic feeling and thematic richness for me, I think that that would be a game I'd be so that would make it to the, to the table so much more often. Yeah. I mean, well, you might want to check out Kickstarter and like late back the Ares expedition, which is like terraforming Mars, the card game, which is supposed to be like terraforming Mars in 45 minutes or something like that. Yeah. Fascinating. Um, yeah. Yeah, so that'll, that'll be interesting to to see how that does. Yeah, and I'm I'm also interested too. Like, surely other people, designers and companies have like tried to do this in in recent years. So I'm curious uh, if anyone listening has kind of thoughts on like other games that have taken that super super thematic approach and 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 then tried to you know shoehorn it into a Euro game and and if it's if it's been successful, you know, are there obvious examples that I'm just not thinking of? Does I have a does does Wingspan fit into that category for you, Jake? Wingspan, I don't think so because like I, I really enjoy Wingspan and like it, but and like the theme is huge in Wingspan, but Wingspan's not trying to like make you feel like you're a birder, right? You're just like trying to like get the best birds and put eggs on them. And there's no like, you know, like thematically, it's a great theme, but it, you know, it it's doesn't have the thing which this has where, you know, you're living out the theme through your play. Like every round is in Terraforming Mars, like maybe my favorite thing about the theme is that like every gener like round of the turn represents a generation for your company of like people living and working and doing this and just having that detail makes like putting a forest tile on the board like so much more cool like just thematically yeah. cool because you can like envision you know there's so many other games it's just like you're like right like like you're just some kind of like god that's just like moving people around the board sure. And doesn't really try to uh, to make it make sense in in the way that terraforming Mars has pulled it off. So it might may, might really be a lot more unique even than we're giving it credit for. Yeah, that's really. I'm surprised that it took it took this long until we're sort of wrapping up and giving our closing thoughts for this word to come up. But it really is a simulation, and that's why it works. And I think that that's the the appeal to people is all of the rules baggage and weight that come with this game it all serves to make the the experience of that simulation that that uh watching mars come together it all serves to make that feel organic and real and like you're actually simulating something even though it's like within the backside of the simulation like oh i'm going to increase the temperature by this much like it's that's where the abstraction happens but your actions everything leading up to the actions 
feels like a simulation. And then backend, okay, we'll we'll extract all of that. But what I get to do as the the agent within the game does feel fairly thematic. Yeah, I love that. And and just, you know, to put a finer point on it, like, you know, here on decision space, where we think about the decisions, it's like the fact that it's a simulation doesn't change the size of the decision space, you know, or the strategic or tactical nature of the decision space. But it does in some way, like, you know, and maybe this is something we can explore further, you know, there's like a different quality, like it changes like the tenor of it a little bit. um, Because it may, you know, cause people to change their behavior, like a little bit, you know, consciously or not, because like, you're there's like a tiny bit of like role playing like what's going to happen with this world like what would my corporation do you know and that's like injected in a concrete way through like special you know powers that your corporation may have you know but also in in the way that players choose to sort of like live that out in the game which i think probably really appeals to people who are not like the competitive gamers that we are, right? That aren't interested in like terraforming Mars tournaments, which I think definitely exist. Um, because, you know, you're still like cre- doing this wonderful thing. And at the end of the game, you get to look at the board and like, we did it. <laughs> totally. Know? Yeah, no, exactly. The the we did it being so key there. Like there is something you're trying to do. And once you finish playing in some capacity, you've done it, which is cool. All right. Uh, Well, I think that's our thoughts on the decisions and everything else about Terraforming Mars, uh, a game that uh, we both like, I think it's fair to say. Uh, Maybe it's maybe I'm a little bit more interested to explore it in the future. uh, But it sounds like Brendan wouldn't be opposed to checking out some of the expansions too. next week will be uh, what we talk about X episode so if you want to uh, pre-plan your turn you can look forward to joining us on that uh, we have a lot of ideas in the hopper i don't think we've officially ironed out but uh, I'm, I'm really interested in, in maybe uh, diving deeper into like what it means to be like competitive in gaming um, I know we also want to talk about like the intersection between gaming and sports. You know, we want to talk about fighting games. So we'll, we'll figure it out. But uh, we have a lot of really interesting topics that we're looking forward to diving into. Definitely. And if there's something you uh, you would like us to, to talk about in the future, or maybe even a game you'd like us to explore and play, let us know. Reach out to us on Twitter. You can reach us at, at Decision Spa, S-P-A, uh, for Twitter handle, or you can hit up uh, myself at Burnside BH and Jake at at Jake F R Y D at Twitter. Correct. Is that right? Yes, yeah. I did it. Okay, it. great. Uh, you can also, if you're listening to us on your podcast app, you can find our our videos on YouTube and feel free to share them there. And if you're following us, if you're listening to us on YouTube, did you know we're also a podcast? And you can find us on any podcatcher: Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, The Moon. I'm just making things up now, but you can find us there too. So enjoy decision yeah. space wherever you might let us know, engage with us. We'd love to hear from you. Is there something uh, you'd love to hear us talk about in the future? Uh, we just, we'd love to engage with listeners and we know you're out there. So, so seek us out. Is there something, is there something we're doing that annoys you to no end? Let us know that too. Like that will definitely help us. Uh, but anyway, this has been another episode of decision space. Bye. You are now exiting the decision space. Thanks for listening. Please take care and enjoy the rest of your game.